everyone, and welcome to Conversations with Bacon. It is great to have you here. Hope you're having a wonderful week. Uh, before we get into our uh, interview today, just a quick reminder, my new book, People Powered, How Communities Can Supercharge Your Business Brand and Teams, is out now. Go and check it out in all good bookshops and probably some pretty bad bookshops too. Um, but before before we continue talking about that, let's let's... Let's now get into the, the meat of this of this episode, which is talking to my guest, Dr. Diane Hamilton. How are you doing, Diane? I'm doing great. I'm curious how you get into bad bookshops, though. We'll have to get into that. <laughs> well, you know, listeners, if you are an operator of a bad bookshop, let us know, because we, we both want to know. know. Yeah. So, so I'm really excited to... Um, to bring you on because I came in on, on your podcast um, yeah. and we had a really interesting discussion after the recording as well. Um, so let me first of all go through um, the rap sheet here because you're a you're a behavioral expert in business. Um, and when I when I when I look at your history, you've got a really interesting background. You went to Stanford. You're a member of the Forbes Coaches uh, Council. Um, you've uh, you've you've done a whole load of work from uh, for example, you're a, you're an advisor for the Leader Kid Academy. You've been an advisory board member for a, a range of organizations such as Impact Capital, the Global uh, Mentor Network. Um, but today, I think what most people know you by is is your work on curiosity. Um, you talk a lot about curiosity, how you factor that into your world and how you understand it and, and, and harness it. And you've got a book called Cracking the Curiosity Code as well. So, why don't we stick? Why, why don't we start this by just? I guess the most critical and important question is: What is curiosity? I think we all know what it is, but you're the doctor. You're the expert. How do you define it? Well, uh, thank you for that. I, I would like to say I went to Stanford, but I didn't. I uh, actually <laughs> took a course there. Ah, but I, went, okay. I, I did go uh, to ASU and other universities. I just didn't want people to think that I uh, didn't that I had something I didn't. But um, I, I don't know. I, I, I think did, you're just well, being coy, Diane. <laughs> Don't hide your extensive academic record. I, I just spent a little time at Stanford campus, though, uh, with uh, Albert Bandura, which was really cool because oh, he's still alive. He's right. 94 yeah. or three. I don't know. He's very old and he's very smart. <laughs> right. And uh, next to Freud, he's probably the, one of the biggest names you hear of in psychology. So right. I love everything about him. But, um, yeah, curiosity is such a word that – you know, it's just so commonly used for everything. And um, I mean, of course, it's a desire to know more about things and all that. And what I was looking at curiosity, uh, the kind of angle I took was in business and getting away from status quo thinking and mm. just feeling a sense that you can ask questions and explore opportunities. And and uh, so my, my focus is not just... Uh, curiosity in general so much as it is in the business world and how we can tie it into saving companies a lot of money right but when do you when you look at the um the psychological um premise or uh, pattern of curiosity is it is it what most people expect that it's just um it's kind of an inquisitive nature about a future potential prospect or how uh, an existing function in the world works. Because when I think of curiosity, like I think I'm a fairly curious person. Um, and this is something that my, my wife uh, 
finds weird at times is that my curiosity will not just be about business, but it will be things like, how is this TV show that I'm interested in uh, created? And, you know, how does this particular area of science work? That it manifests in a multitude of different areas. But I'm guessing that it's a certain type of human being tends to manifest that kind of inquisitiveness. Is that correct? Well, you know, it's really interesting because there's types of curiosity. There's trait and state curiosity. Okay. And so you're talking about a couple different things. I mean, a state curiosity would be just quick, like, oh, that's a cool color, color purple. Wonder what that is. And then it's right. gone. Right. <laughs> right. And so we're not really talking about that. We're talking more trait, which is more what you're talking about, internal. And even trait internal can be more diversive or specific. And what the diversive is kind of motivated by boredom. I wonder how many levels of Candy Crush I can get through kind of thing, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> we're not talking about that either. Yeah. What we're talking about is specific acquiring knowledge, goal-oriented, problem-focused that leads to innovation kind mm. of curiosity. Right. So yeah, it is how the world works, but we're trying not to just go squirrel everything that we see <laughs> right. <laughs> off topic, right? <laughs> So uh, I really am working with companies to get them to understand not only what it is, but, you know, to make it something where we have goals that are smart goals and measurable and, and we can um, really capitalize on the things that, that we find fascinating and interesting that maybe we got turned away from in our past because right. we're all poor and curious. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I'm am I correct in assuming that when you look at, when you've worked with organizations, businesses, individuals, and you've looked at what curiosity looks like, there's a sliding scale that there may be somebody who may be thinking, oh, uh, you know, this science seems interesting very briefly. And then there may be people who go right down the rabbit hole uh, um, <laughs> of, again, you see this with, um, I remember when Wikipedia first became a thing, uh -huh. people would joke about how, oh, I'm interested in finding out about the nation, you know, about Guatemala, right? And then before right. you know it, you're reading pages and pages of documentation on how uh, a particular migrant bird, you know, gestates. <laughs> <laughs> like it just goes from one thing to another. Uh, how, right. how deep down, like what kinds of people go down the rabbit hole? Is there a way of determining that? Well, you know, there are, when I started to write about curiosity, I wanted to see what kind of assessments there were that to, could tell you how curious you were and different right. things. And there are assessments like Todd Cashton has one that a lot of people use. That's just really, I think it's 10 or eight questions, a real simple, um, you know, how curious are you, you know, kind of things. Right. And you, you end up on a scale, you're either highly curious or not so curious or not curious at all type of thing. And, right. and I thought that was great if you want to find out if somebody's curious or not, but it doesn't answer what I wanted answered was what's keeping you from being curious. Right. So you could find out how curious you are, which is nice. And it's important to see, you know, I actually, I'm doing a study right now with uh, somebody from um, Novartis mm. uh, the, who's getting her, her doctorate and she's using my research uh, with the Curiosity Code Index and Cashton's research to measure before giving my assessment and after giving my assessment to see the difference right. of uh, how curiosity grows and changes based on going through my program, which will be great because we'll have data. Right. Um, and I mean, we have data as far as, you know, how, um, what we've studied for the last couple of years of finding these factors and what makes people held back from curiosity, but it's great. The more data we can get, the more we can show that, you know, this ties into everything that everybody's trying to solve. Right. But, right. uh, 
Yeah, there are ways to measure it. um, But the ways that you measured it weren't what I wanted uh, in what I wanted to fix. And so that's why I think this is such a huge topic. I uh, I was really... I was really honored to make the Thinkers 50 radar uh, with my work because, and I really think that happened because curiosity is such a huge topic right now because it ties into innovation, engagement, everything everybody's trying to fix. And and, uh, and there just isn't anything like it that measures it. Yeah. So before we get into, because I do want to get into, um, you know, I think it's fascinating to me because you've got this psychological principle um, (laughs) that, again, manifest in different ways in different people. And one thing I definitely want to get into today is is how you connect that to tangible outcomes, to your point, when you're working with businesses. Um, but I think understanding that weird psychological function, I think, is something I'd like to get a little bit more clarity on, at least in my own head. Right. So when you're looking at the measurement of that, so everybody who's listening to this will be thinking, I think, probably the same thing. It's like, I'm curious, but I don't know you know, on the sliding scale where I sit and what that means, like what the mm-hmm. potential outcomes of that are. Because I think, uh, you right. know, a lot of kids, for example, at school have curious minds and they get the ruler slapped down on the desk because <laughs> they're too curious and they're getting distracted by, you know, the bird flapping around outside of the window. So uh-huh. when you're looking at measuring that curiosity, when you're evaluating it in just really practical terms, what 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 do people look for? Like what how, how people who listen to this, what will be the kind of, how would they evaluate it themselves, for example? Well, see, that's what's different about my assessment is my assessment isn't evaluating how curious you are or, or what right. level of curiosity you have. It's, it's what's stopping you. So I think you need to look oh, at I what's see. stopping you more. I mean, my brother used to be curious to see how far he could tip back on his chair before he fell over in class. And that <laughs> didn't end well <laughs> a lot of times. Right. And that curiosity, I think you need to look at your those types of curiosity. Are you doing things that are curious that are helping you? I mean, I think it was good to look at the, the literature and um, what's out there that yeah. I looked at in terms terms of like Carol Dweck's mindset or, um, you know, Daniel Pink's drive and all the things that tie into um, uh, anything that deals with finding your why, Simon Sinek, and just what it is that motivates us and gives us this drive to do things. And, and, but none of that ties into the spark. I think we got to start with the spark. And I I often tell this story about uh, baking a cake. And I think it helps if you think about this, if you're thinking about curiosity. Okay. okay. Is this going to work for someone like myself who is terrible at anything to do with making food in any of its forms? I I think you might relate to this. I think (laughs) you're good. Okay. Okay. All right. Let's, let's get on to making a cake. Yes. So let's think instead of curiosity, let's look at uh, everyday thing like baking a cake. Right. You're going to take the ingredients of uh, flour and eggs and butter, whatever you put for you and me is probably a cake mix, right? Oh, yeah. But for whatever it is, okay. you're mixing these ingredients and you're putting it in a pan and you're putting it in the oven and yep. your end product you want is cake. Right. And if you put it in the oven and you don't turn on the oven, what do you get? You don't get cake. You get goo, right? Yes. Okay. So that's what we're doing in the workplace without um, thinking about this. We're mixing ingredients of motivation and drive and engagement and innovation. And we're mixing and mixing and we're putting it 
in, into the pan of what we're trying, I think we're doing, we're doing these great things, but we're not turning on the oven. And then the oven is that spark is curiosity. Uh, and without curiosity, right. no one gets cake, you get goo, right? Right, right. <laughs> so no one's getting productivity. We're getting not what we're trying to do. So it sounds like if I understand you correctly, you're saying that you know, for example, people are going out and they're buying all of these business books and they're going through these training courses with all of these tactics and approaches, like what you put mm -hmm. into the cake mix, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And then they, they, they start doing that kind of stuff, but it doesn't get the result that they necessarily expect or that they want right? because they're missing the curiosity piece that bakes that. So, right. Right. So they're what being is being held back from that and they don't recognize that they're being held back from it. So oh, it, just, it, it goes unrecognized, the problems that are stopping you from turning on the oven. The, the plug for the oven's out of the, the wall and we, <laughs> <laughs> and we haven't recognized that the wall, that it's not plugged in. Right, 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 right. So is that about, um, you know, to use a, a practical example, imagine someone goes out and buys uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Fabulous book, right? Great book. Mm -hmm. Some very practical things that people can do are in that book. Um, right. And then they start doing those things, um, and it doesn't really get what they want. <clears throat> are you saying that the, the baking function, I like your comparison with the cake, is that um, about them having the confidence to do that? Is curiosity deeply connected with them seeing that they can do that, that they can get those results or is it something else? Well, okay, let's think about that book. And I can't go through every one off the top of my head, but I remember the first one right. was being proactive, right? Right. Uh, okay. So <laughs> let's, if you want to be anything, you, you have to have the confidence to do certain things. And if you're right. going to be pro proactive to change, for example, hmm. uh, there, there requires a, maybe a, having conversations with your boss about certain things or, or doing yes. yeah. things that require you to get out of your fear of having those conversations. And because you have that fear or you have this uh, voice in your head telling you that uh, I, I can't talk to him about this, I can't, yeah, I, the past guide made me feel awful or whatever it is that's going on is keeping you from asking questions. It's keeping you from developing uh, these conversations that would help you to be more proactive. So in a way, yes, if we're not working on these things that are holding us back from being curious, from getting out of status quo thinking, it's hard for us to do the basic things that uh, some of these books tell us. Right. So, so, you know, if I was to let's say, start implementing some of those pieces um, and I'm, I'm applying that. Um, can you explain a little bit more about that curiosity piece when you say that that's what kind of is the ignite, the, the, the spark that kind of gets that going? What about it, about curiosity makes that happen? Well, curiosity is something that it, it's... It's hard to really prove a tie to certain things because there haven't mm. been research studies that necessarily say this connects to that and this connects to this. But when I started writing the book, I started to look at all of the things that people are trying to fix, um, engagement and all that, and leadership and teamwork and whatever it was. If I had an expert on the show, we'd talk about it and they'd all say, yes, curiosity comes first. So there is a tie to all these things. Right. But, you know, it, the exact um, mechanism of action and get very specific, it's hard to, to, to say. We know that Max Planck Institute coined the curiosity gene. We know that genetically we're 
we're born curious. We know that we explore and do a lot of this great thinking until we're about age five. Right. And then it sharply declines at, at that age. So there is a connection oh, to, to what stops it. Right. You know, and that's what's I, what I find is fascinating. But we're, we're all born very, very curious. And if you listen to TED Talks by Sir Ken Robinson or Professor George Lands talk about what he did at NASA, they talk about creativity and it all ties into my research with uh, curiosity is the same kind of thing is you right. see these right. these great examples of people having these high levels. And when they're five, 98 percent of children are creative geniuses. But by the time they're 31, only two percent. And so. Really? We know that a lot of this is being, uh, according to Sir Ken Robinson, he thinks we're being educated out of it, you know. So we, we look at the impact of, you know, uh, environment and different things of what, where it's going. But I think that what was interesting with George Land is he says, you know, when we're curious, you know, and, and creative and all these things, we tend to come up with these wonderful ideas. So we're putting on the gas but at the same time, we're over criticizing and analyzing to death and we're putting on the brake. And, you know, if you go in your car and you put on your brake oh, yeah. and your gas at the same time, you don't it's go very good. far. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't end well. Wow. There's a few interesting things that I think you just um, you just dropped in there, uh, which I'd like to unpack. Like um, okay. I'd like to get to the um, that notion of um, uh, kind of the, the, the gas and the brakes in a second. But just before we get to that. What you shared about all kids being born curious is really interesting. Is that, do you believe that that's across the board? Like, I'd love to understand what are the, um, the, 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 the influences that kind of ding that curiosity. Because I, I do believe that like a lot of kids at a very early age, you know, born curious, they're just interested. And you see this in babies and you see this mm -hmm. in very young children, right? In the way that they right. they explore the world and they try to find their boundaries. And then there's no doubt that even, I mean, I've got a, a young son and there's very clear personality differences between, you know, the kids in his class. Um, what do you think of the um, influences that? Is it, is it, is it parenting? Is it the socioeconomic environment that they're raised in? Is it other things? Well, you're, you know, you're jumping into a lot of things that I dealt with in the Curiosity Code Index of what stops right. it. But I want to focus on the kid part first and then what stops it um, after that. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I mentioned that the Max Planck Institute coined this term, the, the curiosity gene. Right. Uh, what they looked at was animals and, and, you know, not just people. I mean, we're all born with this natural sense of curiosity. If you right. think about it, birds, if they only went to one bush to look for berries and they run out of berries, they're in trouble, right? So they right. have to be curious and explore. <laughs> yeah. And that's how we are born with that. And one of my talks, I, I give, I put out this picture, it's my favorite picture, is from the San Francisco Museum of Art from Life magazine in 1963. It's these two little blonde girls. They're so adorable. Right. And they're, they're at this museum where they have this unbelievable art all over the wall. And instead of looking at the art, they're down on the ground looking at, the, at this grate in the wall of behind this vent to see what's behind. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is like an allegory for just the world in general Isn't it? And, and when you look at the picture you can't help but laugh and then you think what are they looking at and then you start thinking well i wonder what they're looking at and then you think well when did i stop looking behind the vent and what stopped me did somebody actually say get off the floor you're getting dirty stop that you know i mean right. 
there's the things that have stopped us. And that's what my research found is what stops it. But what we found is three-year-olds ask their parents about a hundred questions a day. But when they get into, you know, five and six, you're getting into schools and you're getting into a lot of things that uh, can inhibit the, the ability to ask questions and whether your parents are super good about answering your questions or not, or if they're like, just cause I said so kind of parents, you know I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, that's so fascinating. So it sounds like, which is which is really interesting because I didn't know this is that, um, you know, uh, I think to your point, Diane, uh, the way we I think a lot of um, business teaching, for example, is you've got these capabilities that are buried inside of you, and mm-hmm. um, here's guidance for how you can how you can amplify them. Right? It was is a lot of right. business teaching, and it sounds like what you're saying is. You definitely have this curiosity that's inside of you, and there's a series of things that are inhibiting it. So it's not necessarily about amplifying something. It's about providing the environment where it can thrive. It's about getting those right. things that are negatively impacting your curiosity out of the way. If, if, if kids are born with this, which I entirely believe, um, and there are things that happen when they're very young, such as your example of you know the parents who are like, well, stop it with the questions. That's the way, that's the way it is. Um, are there um, like can you unwind that cable? Like if if they if they get their curiosity dinged when they're very young, and then they get into their formative years when they start getting to be you know teenagers and young adults, can you can you get that back, or is there just is the damage done at that point? Oh no, you you can get it back, and you know I, I think that what you're talking about is you know it's a lot of when we talk about Carol Dweck's uh, mindset of what. Uh, impacts people sometime, you know, you can have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. Right. And if what she found in her research is, you know, when you're talking to these kids and you tell them, well, you really worked hard at that. I mean, seriously, what a great job that that you did. It must've taken you a lot of effort. Then, then you're making them realize that, this takes some effort, but it's really worth the reward. And people have a more growth mindset in that respect. Right. Right. So, but if you go, Oh, you're just so naturally great at that, you know, and it just comes so easy for you that that, that's going to make a child less likely to try hard. Right. And, you know, so some of the things that we're telling children and some of the inadvertently, just because our parents and people told, spoke to us that way. Right. And so we, we, we learn that a lot of this is, you know, external to us that is causing this. Mm, And, mm -hmm. and, and that was what was fascinating to me was to talk to all these people to find out what they thought it was that kept them from from being curious. Right. And um, I actually started by asking people in LinkedIn what they thought kept them from being curious before I went out and researched thousands of people. And at first, I I got the kind of things you'd really expect. I mean, a lot of fear-based things. I mean, everybody, no one wants to look dumb, right? (laughs) So nobody wants to ask the question in a meeting. We all look at Bob, hey, Bob, why'd you ask the question? Because we'd rather have Bob look dumb, right? (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, but it was, it's fascinating to look at the, the external influences, though. Now, one thing that you um, you've worked on is, and you touched on this earlier on, is this curiosity code index. Uh, mm-hmm. What is that? How does that work? 
Well, that's what I did uh, to, when I was writing my book. I decided, well, I can't just write about curiosity. I decided that the, I had to find out who studied how to fix this, right? Mm. And what's surprising to me was nobody had an assessment to determine what kept people from being curious. So I figured I better create it. And as I worked on it, I, I created the Curiosity Code Index after studying thousands of people over all these years. And what it does is it's a, an assessment that is not unlike taking something like an emotional intelligence or disc or, you know, the type of a personality test a lot of people have taken that takes just a, 10 minutes or something to take and you get your 26 pages of your results and, and, the, right. and that type of thing. But what it does is it tells you the four factors um, uh, that inhibit curiosity and it gives you levels within each of those four factors are nine sub factors and it gives you your levels for all these things. And so you can kind of look at it and go, oh, okay, this is what my problem is within fear or assumptions and technology and environment. The four factors that hold people back, the, the acronym of FATE, right. um, are, are now, that, now that we have these 36 areas to look at, I, I know, you know, this is what it brings up this dialogue of how to fix this because I can recognize, huh, it's because of, you know, when I was a child or it's because of my work or because of my what uh, I tell myself this or, you know, and we have these great sessions when we go over this with people that they just get these really aha moments. It just makes so much more sense to them. And right, it's easier right. to overcome something once you understand why. So is that the goal of the, the Curiosity Code Index then to essentially give you um, um, a starting point? Um, for, of evaluation, I, I did a, um, a previous guest on Conversations with Bacon is Liz McCabe, mm -hmm. and she's an executive coach. One of the things that she said was when she's working with executives, she wants to do an assessment first of all. <clears throat> so there's a data at a starting point. So when mm -hmm. you start applying changes to your life, you can then obviously see what kind of progress or lack of progress you're making in, in different areas. Is that kind of the, the, the goal of this, that within well, those areas that you'll you'll define your, your rankings essentially before you make changes. Yeah. I mean, this is an awareness kind of thing like that, because you want to know what, where you are, uh, what's stopping you. Cause how can you move forward if you don't recognize any barriers? Hmm. And so it, it does, it gives you this, this is what has been stopping me. Now I can create an action plan, kind of a personal SWOT analysis sort of thing that where I can create actionable goals, make, you know, measurable, smart goals that, uh, I can overcome some of these things. If you don't recognize what's stopping you, you have no way to move forward. It's kind of like going out on a walk and not having any kind of path. You just kind of end right. up in wherever you're going to end up. <laughs> and, um, th that's what I was trying to avoid because the people are maybe walking in circles right now. And yep. I'd like them to have a clear trajectory to where they should be. So digging into that, because I think the four areas that you, you mentioned, fate, fear, assumptions, mm -hmm. technology, and environment. Um, of the four areas, I think I can probably preempt what fear is. Like people have fear of, of uh, a, a reticence to, uh, to do things and to have the confidence that they can make changes and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about assumptions uh, and what the I role can. that plays in this? Well, I, I just want to touch a little bit on fear because we already talked about having Bob ask questions and meetings for you. Right. But, you know, there's there's that, you know, a lot of uh, 
people have bosses who have said things to them that can really shut them down, you know, and it may not even be their current boss. It could be a boss they had a couple of times, uh, you know, bosses ago. I had one guy uh, ask me to do something and I'd never done it before. I never needed to, it wasn't part of my job description or anything. And, and when he asked me to do, it, I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. How do I do that? And he looked right. at me so disgusted and said, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. What? Because in his, <laughs> I know, in his world, that's what his boss would have said to him. And he just, he wasn't a bad guy. He really wasn't. He just thought, you know, somebody should have probably taught me that by this point, which no one had. It wasn't, you know, but what that does right. is to, if I hadn't been, you know, confident and, you know, older and things and not worried about that kind of stuff. I might, might, you know, basically you're telling somebody that was stupid, better lie to me next time. Right. You know? Fake it till you make it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, and it's kind of, he's, that's, that's kind of common. You know, you hear people say things that they don't really have bad intentions. They might say, uh, don't come to me with problems unless you have solutions, but some people aren't able to come up with solutions because they don't have those skills. So you're telling them, I don't want to know about problems. And they're not doing it in a bad way that they were taught this is a good thing because you don't want whiners. You know what I mean? There's a lot of times good intentions behind things that can cause us fear to cause us to fear, you know, from past experience or pressures and things. And so I I just wanted to add that to to fear because I really think that's huge. But to your question on assumptions, um, assumptions are really the voice in your head. So uh, they, they can just really linger and cause so many problems. And, and, and I'm in an audience, I'll often hold up a glass of water and say, how heavy is this glass? And, you know, and a lot of them will say, how about how say, how heavy is this water? Whatever I'm holding up. And they'll say, uh, six ounces, 10 ounces, whatever they yell out. And I say, well, it, it doesn't matter. What matters is how long I hold it. Right. So let's say I hold it for a minute. doesn't bother me. I hold it for an hour. My arm starts to hurt yeah. a little bit. And I hold it all day. My arm gets paralyzed. This is like and the relationship the, with stress, right? Is that right, it might seem same, small, but then it's, it weighs it, on it's you. It's powerful. Right? It yeah. weighs on you. And the same thing with the voice in your head. If you keep saying, this isn't interesting. I've never liked it in the past. It sounds boring. It's too much work. I don't want to know it. Uh, you know, why bother? They're just going to give me more to do. Whatever it is that you're telling yourself that, you know, you, it goes in your head for a second, no big deal. After an hour, it starts to be problematic maybe. And if you hang on to it, you start to, that's the way you think. And right. so we gotta, we need to put that water down that, that voices we're telling ourselves because it, it's, it's so easy to think that something is too hard or we could never do it. I, I, I had Eric Waymayer on my show, mm. the, blind, the first blind man to hike all the peaks in the world at right. top summits. He was so interesting. I mean, think of somebody who should have in his head that I can't do this. What blind guy can go up these mountains and, <laughs> and river rafts. Right. The Grand Canyon, uh, Colorado River, right? Who does that? Right. So it's all what you tell yourself, uh, positive or negative, w- yeah. what you can accomplish. That's so in- that's so interesting as well because um, <clears throat> I get the impression that weaved into a lot of this is is having a level of um, you know, let's just see what will happen. You know, I'll give you an example <laughs> of this just from my own life. Okay. Um, it's 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 blown me away just how how much you can do with a little. Like years ago, I used to do this podcast with some friends and it became this weird little kind of technology cult thing in the UK. Um, and people started listening to it. For anyone who uh, who has watched Top Gear or The Grand Tour on Amazon Prime, it was kind of like that. It was, you know, four idiots basically spending time with each other. 
Um, and, um, you know, we decided to run an event and uh, we didn't have any money. We're all students. And, you know, we hired um, a room in a, in, in a football ground that we used to live near. Um, and we did a bit of promotion and we begged and pleaded people to come and speak and we didn't have anything it was it was very much of a chewing gum and sticky tape affair in putting this together and we were expecting about 30 or 40 people to show up and nearly 300 people showed up and uh yeah the bartender was 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 exhausted (laughs) so it was um and it Uh was um it taught me at at a relatively young age like just what you can do you don't need you know, big budgets and and lots right. of resources to do something. And I think you can apply that in a ton of different areas. But I get the impression a lot of people are like, well, there's no way we could do that. Like, because what if we fail? You know, to your point, Diane, you know, they, yeah. the, the combination of the fear and the assumptions, you know, the assumptions hold them back, but then the fear of, of the negative outcome and probably tied in with the ego and all the rest of it, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Is that part of this? Is it? Is it? Do you think part of this is 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 saying like it's amazing what the human condition can do if you let it thrive it is and you know it, it led to my book that's coming out this next year is on perception and it and you're talking a lot about what i talk about and write about for perception right um because it it ties in perception is kind of like iq eq uh, CQ of cultural quotient and CQ of curiosity quotient combined, mm. um, because it, it ties into so many things of how we see the world of what we think is hard. I mean, you can give two people the same job. One will just go, that was horrible. Oh, it was so hard. And the other guys, go, that was nothing. What's right. next? You know? And, and you see that all the time in work. Um, and I, I, I think that it's, um, really challenging to be able to recognize, when we overwhelm ourselves with what we tell ourselves we, we can or can't do. And for, for me, I'm kind of a Nike person. Just do it. I don't right. overanalyze it to death and worry about it as much. I, if they ask me to do it, yeah, I'll do it. I'll figure it out later kind of thing. Yeah. Where other people will definitely just jump to the, I've never done that. I can't do it. What's it take? And they just panic. You know what right. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> what do you think the, um, what do you think the role of, you know, obviously, uh, right now, there's a lot of discussion um, in the world around inclusion and diversity, um, and you know, people coming from different backgrounds, um, people who are different genders, people with different races, um, and there's kind of a lot of uh, there's increasing scientific research done into the impact of those elements in people's lives, and then there's a lot of just you know Twitter waffle <laughs> of yeah. people debating this as well. Uh-huh. What, what do you see when we look at curiosity and we look at people kind of unlocking their own potential? Uh, what do you see as the role of that? Like, so for example, if you know if someone comes from, you know, a working class background um, in you know a big city like Pittsburgh or something like that, what mm-hmm. would that? How would that inf- influence you know their ability to kind of unlock that? Because I think in many cases you can say, yeah, of course you can do anything, you know, if you're well-educated and you've had a lot of opportunity throughout your childhood and your life um, and you can see that potential. But for people who haven't had those opportunities, it's probably, you know, the the, the vision of that opportunity is probably a lot blurrier. How, how what, what is the role of that? 
Well, you know, it's interesting because I had somebody on my show this week who came from a very small town. When I asked him why he was so curious, he said he had to be because he came from a small town and mm. he, he knew he didn't want to live there. So the only way to get <laughs> That's out. That's the only way to get out, was, right? Yeah. Right, right. And, and I think about it as my childhood, neither of my parents worked and they really couldn't. My father was born legally blind, 2% vision. He really was blind. Oh, wow. And so they just really couldn't help me. My mom really didn't have the skills. She was a housewife. And, you know, and so if I wanted to figure something out, out, I had to figure it out on my own. But if you looked at my upbringing, you go, oh, she was raised in a wealthy home and things would look great. And you know what I mean? It's, so it's, it's, it comes from every um, perspective. I think it's situational to some extent, you know, mm. and I think it's really hard to know, uh, who's going to have more of an impact. But I, even though my dad was blind, I, I got a lot of the curiosity from him because he couldn't do things. Right. He was wanting to do a lot of things. So he had this, like, he'd have, he'd be reading his newspaper that he could kind of read it if he put it right next to his face. And then he'd have like a book on audio, uh, records at that time they didn't have tapes but uh, and then he'd have the sports on he had five things going he was learning everything all at the same time right right. so that led to my horrible task of my multitasking later but um (laughs) (laughs) i think you know you have these influences whether you come from a a rich family or a poor family or family at worst, it doesn't work. I mean, there's some people like Elon Musk's family told him it would be nothing. And so he had the, I told you so mentality, but you have Steve right. Wozniak, whose father was basically a rocket scientist coming home with all these cool gadgets telling him, this is how this works to deliver electricity. And this is why it works. And he really taught him to, to question everything of the you know depth of everything. So we all take, we all are born into just completely different realities. And that's why I thought perception was so fascinating. And it's, it's what you do and what, uh, you know, some things might uh, appeal to you because we all do have different personalities when you're born. I mean, anybody who has more than one kid will tell you they're completely different from day one. Yes. And uh, I know mine were absolutely different and they still are. And you can tell one one thing and she'll act one way and you tell the same thing the other one and she'll act another way. Because we, <laughs> if you've given a personality tests like Big Five or Myers-Briggs or any of those, you know, that deal with like extroversion, introversion, um, there's certain parts of your personality that you're just kind of a preference from the day one. And it's kind of like you're right. right-handed or left-handed. You have a, you could write with both hands, but it's way better to write with one than the other. <laughs> right. And that's how it is with, uh, our personality preferences and with introversion, extroversion, that is a huge part of it. So, you know, Susan Cain's book was so popular. Quiet was such a great book because for introverts, it says, you know, it showed this is such valuable things that introverts bring that their listeners and they ask, questions and they pay attention to this and that and you know what I mean and and there's so much we value so much extroversion sometimes that we I think it's great to look at what every opposite trait brings and if you, that that comes back to your diversity questions of what we bring into teams you know and when I've trained teams to get along 
we, we understand that if you put everybody on the team who were all had the same preferences, you get a really boring end product. And I, I remember going in Myers-Briggs training years ago, and whether you think that's a great assessment or not, the training was actually quite interesting mm-hmm. because if you put all the same people together and you gave them Legos and they all had the same personality type, they created these really, like say build a house and they would be so boring. But you, if you put a team together that had all different personality types, they'd build like a castle and a moat and, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) unbelievable. You get, you know, mansions, you know? Right. So that was fascinating to me. And when I had Amy Edmondson on the show, it brought that to mind because she has a great Ted talk about teams versus teaming. And if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend it. And talking about how people get to uh, together and sometimes in a teaming situation is more you know, you don't know everybody and they're just thrown together quickly, like the Chilean miner disaster, how they all had to get those people who were buried under all the rock out quickly before the air ran out kind of thing. Right. And so they had to learn to be uh, curious and they had that helped work in collaboration together. Right. And right. if we could just have that sense that we get rid of our ego and realize that we need a diverse team to f- solve these problems that, it, you know, have it be life or death kind of everyday kind of things right. come, have that importance to us, then we can achieve a lot more. Yeah, I mean, I, I get the impression with this as well, because, you know, your, your example of, of your dad um, yeah. in, in a similar in a similar way, um, you know, my own dad, who, you know, was was raised in a fairly... Uh, I wouldn't say deprived of bringing like a very loving family, but, you know, again, working class family. The the thing that he always says is that he had to share the pajamas with one of his brothers. He got the top and his, his brother got the bottom, <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Um, um, and, you know, he had polio when he was very young and he had oh. all kinds of health issues. He was run over when he was a kid and wow. all these kinds of things. And, uh-huh. you know, and but. And he ended up actually in his in his later years, in his fifties, actually studying at Cambridge. He studied criminology there and wrote a you know a thesis on um, restorative justice. Wow! And, and I think I have no doubt that part of the reason why my brothers and I uh, have the personalities that we have is in in some part due to the fact that despite um, his circumstances. My dad has persevered. He has looked adversity <laughs> in the eye and said no. And uh, and he doesn't claim to be an expert in any of these areas. He's just kind of like got on with it. And the thing that I wrestle with a little bit is, you know, there is no doubt that some people, um, and this gets back to the diversity topic, that there are some people that just do not have certain opportunities available to them because yeah. of sadly because of the color of their skin or their gender or their sexuality or all of these other elements and we should always right. strive for an environment that welcomes and brings the best of everybody to the surface um but i think an element of what you're touching on as well is just this element of adversity you know and mm-hmm. i think what i like to refer to it as manageable adversity like there are some some adversities that are just not manageable like if you're a black person and people are just treating you dif- differently because right. of the color of your skin that's very difficult to deal with and manage uh, because it's just a fundamentally bigoted environment to be in but then there are other elements of adversity and your dad is a good example i think my dad is a good example of this that people wrestle through that and what would you say in your work is the relationship between adversity and curiosity like is 
Because I think when people see that they can look adversity in the eye and they can wrestle through it and they can see beneficial results from it, I think it it sets a pattern where they know they've got it in them, if you see what I mean, you know. I think people like your dad or my dad or Eric Weimayer and others help people see that there's potential. I mean, if you just are right. within yourself and you might tell yourself it's impossible, but when you get like heroes who have shown you, yeah, you could, anything is possible kind of thing. You know what I mean? I, I think that it, it's, I think you're going to see a lot more mentorship and people helping other people. Uh, I think that's one of the greater things about millennials and younger generations is that there's mm-hmm. not that need to be, I'm the boss, I'm smarter than everybody kind of thinking. You're seeing more servant leadership, m- mentorship, things like that. Right, and right. It, it's, it's just, you know, your family can have a real strong impact as your father did. Uh, my father, we had to um, play school at the dinner table at night, which probably also helped with curiosity. And if you didn't answer the question right, we were all you'd become a third of a hippopotamus or something like. I can't remember what it was, but you didn't want to be a hippopotamus. And if you got it wrong, you you know eventually three questions you're out. Then I think you had to go through the tickle machine or something. I can't remember. Wow, this sounds like a uh, very complicated family dynamic. It was very um, competitive, and (laughs) everything was a game. I don't want to be a hippopotamus. Okay. Yeah. So we all ended up in sales because everything was fun and games kind of thing as a kid. And right. so you, you look back at your experiences and you think, what influence did that have? And so parents listening to this, think about that the, the influence you have and what are you doing to, you know, are you like Steve Wozniak's dad and going, this is why this works and, and helping people to want to get to the root of the situation and uh, you're being a role model. And I think this is what we're talking about is role models here. Right. What do you think, actually, for the parents listening to this, um, um, particularly parents with younger children, where they're in that kind of, you know, you're helping to shape their their view of the world and you don't want to download all of your own insecurities into the brains. <laughs> what are some practical things that you think parents should be doing? Because, for example, I read a, a piece today that my father-in-law sent over because he thought it was interesting about the role of autonomy and giving your kids freedom of control. And this was on uh, CNBC. Um, and, you know, helping them to see their areas of competence and the role of relatedness uh, uh-huh. and having, you know, giving your kids more free time to have in-person interactions with other kids uh, of their own age. What do you think um, parents can do to help grow their sense of curiosity and, and to not hold them back? Well, I think what we talked about with Carol Dweck, you know, is how you phrase things about how you worked hard and instead of saying you're so naturally good at it can be a really important thing. You know, I think having different events and activities. I used to every year, you know, tell my kids, you know, you can pick two different kind of sports activities this year you want to do or this two. I didn't force them to pick one thing that I liked, but maybe let them choose different things, you know, and, you know, I think letting them have choice can be good because if you just assume that just because you love golf, that your kid's going to love golf, you you know, you're forcing a lot of things on them, but I think giving them a lot of options. That's another thing I think was really great in my childhood is I was, I took a lot of dance and different types of things that you could learn whether you like things that were not just uh, cerebral things, you know, just a variety of options. So you find out what you're really good at. Yeah. And uh, I I think it's hard for a lot of parents sometimes because they only know a couple things. So they just show them those couple things that uh, you can get in this together with them and, and explore. 
No, that makes sense. I think the only exception to that rule should be cricket. There is nothing good about cricket, okay? You I've know. never played cricket, but now I'm curious. Oh, it's it's basically it's rubbish baseball. Um <laughs> It's on the ground, right? Is it, it is. Okay. I, I've been unnecessarily mean towards cricket. Uh, oh. But, yeah. But, you know, it's the only game that lasts like three and a half days uh, where they break oh. for tea. Anyway, this is just my English. This is English resentment. Oh, that's through. so funny. Um, Not a lot of cricket played in Arizona that I know of, but... I don't <laughs> tend to think of Arizona and cricket in the same sentence. Um, yeah, right. So I know... Um, uh, uh, a strong area in which you focus and where you consult is working with businesses around this. Um, for people who are listening to this, who, um, you know, who are, you know, either they're, they're, they're working in another company or they run their own businesses, what are the kind of things that people should be thinking about to, again, unlock that kind of potential and let curiosity flow in their business? What's the kind of things that you would, I don't mean to give away your, your, uh, your secret recipe, but um, <laughs> with the 11 herbs and spices, but what do you think people should be doing? Um, well, counsel I think, you know, we, we probably should touch on the last two factors just because I think this, we kind of talked about, you know, how fear and letting yes. go of the voices, but we technology didn't talk about technology and environment. And right. I think technology, some of the things you can do with technology is if you realize that you can over or underutilize it and sometimes you uh, rely on Siri to answer everything. And I think if you only used a, a calculator and never knew the math behind it, and what if you could have been the greatest mathematician in the world, but you never knew the foundations or even were exposed right. to it. So I think exposure to it can be really important. Uh, sometimes overuse is a problem, but also underuse because you just don't know what potential there is for it that you can... Um, you can develop critical thinking skills and there's just so much uh, that we don't think about. And so I wanted to touch that you could do some things with technology there and an environment. Other things you can do is think about how much, like we were talking about our parents, what relationship that had to our wanting to be curious or not curious. Did our parents say you had to be a lawyer or take over the family business or, you know, and maybe that limited your options and, and what did your teachers say if you asked questions? Did they have to teach to the test? Did they have, you know, 36 kids besides you in the class and they couldn't let you explore your interest in X, Y, Z, whatever it was? Right. And, and think about your work relationships. I mean, who uh, said those things to you that might have shut you down? What past experiences had you had? And um, it's it just I think it's really important just to look at everybody you've ever interacted with from family to peers to friends to even social media. If it's not cool to be into uh, cricket because you heard on the radio, oh, <laughs> cricket was dumb. More, I don't know. more cricket bashing. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like the, all the cricket people unite, you know, I mean, do whatever it is that you had loved, even if we don't love it and, and try to realize right. that not everybody loves the same things. And right. I love paperwork and it makes people's heads explode when I say that. But I, 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 <laughs> you love you know, paperwork? I, I do. I left being a pharmaceutical rep and I tried to think of what the most heavy paperwork job you could possibly have was. And I made, I decided to be a loan officer for that very reason. Wow. And who There's does not that? many no people one. out there like you, Diane. No, no. It's, it's, it's a little bit out there, I admit it. But I was so, I just loved paperwork. And, uh, right. you know, some people just like things that you can't imagine. And who would have ever thought to encourage that? You yeah, know? yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess one, one, 
um, I, I can imagine, for example, someone who's running a startup uh, who's listening to this and, and saying, you know what? Everything she's saying makes tons of sense, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we should be unlocking curiosity in people. And we should be removing those barriers where people can just do interesting things and they can see the potential that's in front of them. Um, you know, I have a team of 10 people um, and I don't have an enormous set of resources. You know, these people are all pretty busy. Um, like, what can I do to enable my small team in my company to do that in a way that's, you know, I don't have the luxury of allowing, you know, days in which people can kind of sit around with whiteboards and, and, and post-it notes and, and experiment. What do you think people can do with a little to, to, to let this kind of grow in their, in their organizations? Well, I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't make this an expensive thing for people to do. And I mean, even just uh, an individual can take it on my site without going through any special training or anything like that. And I think it's right now it's like $49. And if you're a leader, you could take the assessment and get an idea of what holds you back. And once you get that idea, even if you don't take the assessment, you write down these things that we've talked about, the fear, assumptions, technology and environment. If you go back and listen to this recording, you can hear a lot of the areas that I mentioned under each of those and under each of those kind of things that I mentioned, write down, you know, what it is within that, that you think has held you back. You know, if it's your parent saying this and what would you have done if that hadn't happened? And if, what can you do to explore that? Because as a leader, if you can model curiosity to your organization and make it really honest that you want this because the research shows that the majority of leaders think that they encourage curiosity, but only 50% of employees agree with that. Um, so, you know, you'd have to show vulnerability to them and say, you know, I am trying to model this. Uh, I, you know, I, I know that they, they're creating little videos at Verizon. They're creating this, uh, hundred hours of, uh, uh, hope, uh, reading and learning at uh, Novartis and all these companies I'm working with are doing these little things that are saying, Hey, we would love for you to, to just explore more areas. And I'm going to show you because I'm going to do something. I'm going to ask question today in this meeting that normally I wouldn't ask because as a leader, just like you, I don't want to look stupid. I want you guys to think I know everything. And the more you show your vulnerability that you're human, like they are, the more likely that they are to do, you know, to put their wall down right. a little bit yeah. and, uh, do the same kind of thing right yeah baby steps we start baby somewhere steps. and keep going right so well diane this has been really interesting i really appreciate you coming on where, where can people find out more about about the work that you're doing your curiosity code index and the other pieces that you talked about well, you can find me on social media at Dr. Diane Hamilton just about everywhere. So that's D-R-D-I-A-N-E-H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N. And you can go to my website, which is drdianehamilton.com. Uh, on the website, you can either, uh, you could find the radio show and all that, or you can go to the curiosity information there at the top. If you want to be an affiliate, that's uh, at the bottom of the page. But you can also just go straight to the curiosity information at curiositycode.com. Uh, either way, you can find out information. And if you want to contact me i'm open to uh connecting on linkedin and social media so i'm happy to answer any questions fantastic uh, well thank you so much for coming on and you know i think this is something that we all can do a better job at so uh, i appreciate the time oh thank you this was so much fun we got to switch seats so I that know. made it fun too <laughs> and, and we got to bag on cricket so it's, it's, we it's did the perfect it day. was a twofer yes <laughs> thank you